Thanks, Jess. Um, as Jess said uh, earlier, <laughs> subtle, um, Jessica Subtle Fellows. Um, um, as Jess said earlier, we are kind of rebooting, if you like, this whole concept of practicing the way of Jesus um, after the pandemic. Um, we were kind of doing it in chunks and then things obviously changed. Um, and the reason we're doing that is because um, we were looking at this a, a little bit last week and we'll come back to it over the next few months. We live in a moment in time where um, we're in transition as the, as the world, as the culture, and therefore as the church. From the world as it was and into the world that it's going to be, um, we're in-betweeners, we're grey zone people. Um, and the only way that you can sustain a life of faith in such a way that you do more than just survive the crazy world that we find ourselves in, but actually thrive in it, is by having an intentional approach to your faith. Um, and one of the things that we're discovering or rediscovering, I think, in the more uh, evangelical tradition, which is what we are, um, low church tradition, is the importance of spiritual practices and personal disciplines of uh, spirituality. Um, and so learning together and individually how to build those things into our lives is crucial if you want to come alive in the things of God, basically. It's way more fun if you do it in community which is why life groups are central to this. And I know lots of people are in those midweek communities. So tonight is a bit of a kind of primer. Some of you will have been around first time round, but lots of you won't. Um, and then over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack actually some of the ways this works itself out in our lives. So do this in two chunks tonight. There'll be a chance in a bit to talk among yourselves, and then we'll do part two in a bit more. So uh, if you've got a Bible, um, open it up to Mark chapter 1. Um, we're going to be there in a moment. Um, it's interesting, the language we use about our faith tells us quite a lot about what we think and how we make sense of it. We, we would often talk, wouldn't we, about being Christians or perhaps a disciple or a follower of Jesus, depending on what context you're in. Um, and we often um, use that language without kind of realizing. But actually, it's interesting, if you go into the scriptures, if you go into the gospels, the language that's used there is actually quite different. Um, the language that Jesus uses is um, really helpful to making sense of what does it mean actually to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, in the first century, if you were a good Jewish man, you would go to the synagogue on Saturday morning. Only the men could go. Uh, and you'd learn about the people of God, uh, what God has for them, the law through the Torah, and then you'd go home and you would teach to your family. That's how it worked. And um, if Jesus had turned up one morning to your synagogue, he would have been introduced as a rabbi. So in the gospel accounts, we hear this word rabbi. Jesus is described as a rabbi, which literally means teacher. And a rabbi was somebody who would have been, they were kind of itinerant, so they moved around. Now they're... Um, they stay in one synagogue and teach. But in those days, they moved around. There weren't enough of them, basically, and everywhere took forever to get to. So rather than everyone going to the synagogue, the rabbi moved around, and wherever they were, effectively, there was a synagogue happening because that was about the people, not the building, like we say it is with church. Um, and they would teach their understanding of what it means to be the people of God, what is known uh, in rabbi speak as a yoke. So Jesus says, my yoke is easy. 
my yoke is light. His, his interpretation of the Torah, he would say, as a rabbi, was an easy, light one. Contrary, in, in effect, to the other rabbis who had the very complicated, heavy, burdensome one that the Pharisees particularly really loved. Jesus was this rebel, radical rabbi. He, he didn't fit the mold. He broke all the rules. He kind of had this um, mission to, re- to liberate the people of God from the very things that actually were meant to, that the interpretation of the law that was meant to set them free in the first place but had become so kind of confused. Um, of the 90 times that Jesus is talked to in the gospel accounts, he's described as rabbi. So it's a really significant thing and it's... Um, really important for understanding what it means to follow Jesus. So Mark chapter 1, we read in verses 16 to 20, uh, and we're just going to see how it plays itself out over the next few uh, chapters. Mark 16 to 20, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Mark chapter 2. Verse 13, it says this. So just turn over a page. It's the calling of Levi. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. So rabbi, that's what you do. You teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12, it goes on to say. One more, Mark chapter 8, turn a little bit further right. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Uh, we read this. Uh, Here we go. Then he called the crowd to him among sorry then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take his up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it so there's a pattern in other words i don't know whether you spotted it what was the phrase that we kept hearing in those four readings nat Follow me. Follow me. Now, we hear that and go, yeah, yeah, Jesus was there. He said, come and follow me. But actually, what was going on there was massive. Story after story in the Gospels, we have these people having an encounter with Jesus. And he doesn't say to them, here's what you need to do. Uh, You need to believe in me, these things, and then you will go to heaven when you die. He doesn't say, you need to believe these things, stop doing those things, and then basically you'll be squeaky clean and God will be pleased with you. That's not his conversation with people. What he does is he rocks up. He teaches this interpretation of Torah, this understanding of who God is that is mind-blowing. And then he says, do you like what you hear? Follow me. Come and follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. I will, I will, I will. Now, the Hebrew word for disciple, where he says, I'm going to make you my disciples, is the word Talmudim. And it's best translated apprentice. So the idea is, come and apprentice after me. Uh, We tend to translate a, a disciple as follower. 
not in the kind of I follow someone on social media way, but kind of I'm, I'm following their lead, their thinking, their way of doing things. Or student, you know, as in uh, a bit like I'm a first year at Worcester Uni, student. Now, those, two lang- those two words in our language are often what we come back to, but actually the best word is apprentice. That's a better rendering of the original text in Hebrew. In other words, to follow a rabbi was to do an apprenticeship with them. And what Jesus is doing here is, like every rabbi did, was saying, come and apprentice yourself after me. This isn't a new concept. This isn't kind of something that even just rabbis did. This was actually a normal thing in the ancient Middle, uh, ancient Near East at the time. Lots of rabbis before and after Jesus have done it within the Jewish culture. But actually in Greek and Roman world, uh, the Greek and Roman world, that's how it worked too. So Plato and Socrates, two of the great philosophers, they had apprentices. They had uh, young people who would come and learn from them. It was part and parcel of the first century world. There is one thing that makes it massively distinctive about the way Jesus did it in contrast to everybody else. We'll get to that in a moment. But the point for now is this, that many of us have grown up in a Christian worldview in the church, a Christian, an expression, if you like, of Christianity, in which actually we haven't talked a lot about apprenticeship. We haven't invited people into that understanding of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. But key to spiritual formation, key to becoming truly, newly human, transformed into the person that God intended you to be from the very beginning, is this idea of learning from Jesus how to be human. Learning how he did it. Practicing his way of following God. Back to Mark chapter 8. Uh, to understand the significance of what's going on here and what it means for us, we need to know something of the backstory. Some of you will have heard this before. But back in the day, uh, there were three um, levels, if you like, of learning for a Jewish child. Um, first level was what was called Bet Sefer, uh, which is called the House of Book. And uh, you would go to school, boys and girls. Uh, until you were about 12, where you would learn to read, write, you do some maths, but principally you were memorizing the Torah. So the first five books of what we have in the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, etc. Can, mem- can you imagine having to memorize all of that by heart? That's basically what you did. I mean, you think school's dull now, right? Um, that would have been torture. Most kids stopped at that point. Girls got married at about the age of 13. And most boys went back to apprentice with their father in the trade or craft that they did, fisherman, carpenter, etc. The second level, the Bet Talmud, was the house of learning. This was often built on the side of a synagogue, and so often it would be residential. You'd leave mum and dad and go and live there for chunks of time. This was 12 to 14-year-old boys, and you would learn from a paid rabbi. And they were basically looking for the best of the best. They're looking for the scholars. They're looking for those who like absolutely ace this, the ones who've got the potential to become the next best rabbi on the planet. And uh, the elite would go on and be invited to the next level. So what would happen is a rabbi would interrogate these disciples, their apprentices, keep asking them, Torah, what, what do you understand the Torah to be? How do you make sense of it? What's going on? Etc. Etc. And if they thought you had what it takes... They would say to you, come follow me. 
And so to be told by a rabbi or hear a rabbi say, come follow me, in those days would have been something only the boys heard and only the smartest cookies in town, right? If you heard that, you were invited into the uh, third level, which is Bet Midrash, which is known as the house of study, and you were there until you were 30. Eventually, you would then become a rabbi yourself. So um, even going to university seems quite quick, doesn't it, compared to that, right? You leave uh, 22, 23, something like that. And basically, um, I hope you're seeing the connections here. Jesus was 30 when he began his public ministry. So we don't really know, but it would seem like somehow Jesus um, has emulated all of this but actually we think probably didn't do it either in the sense of he kind of made his own version of it up because we know that he was a carpenter. So he didn't leave mum and dad and go to Bet Midrash, but he seems to have kind of got out the other side at 30 and essentially ended up in the same place as somebody else, probably because God's in him. And that's a whole theological debate for another time. The point is they recognized him as a rabbi. And if you know the stories, they didn't just recognize him as a rabbi. They recognized there was something about this rabbi and his yoke that just was controversial, challenging to the, principal, uh, the powers and principalities of the day, but really inviting, really exciting for the average ordinary person. So when he rocks up in town, everyone wants to go and listen to him because something is going on here. We'll come back to that in a moment. There were three goals you had as an apprentice. Uh, if you were the best of the best and you invited to come and spend 15 years learning how to be a rabbi yourself, three goals. Number one was to be with your rabbi. Number two was to become like your rabbi. And number three was to learn to do what your rabbi did. So notice in Mark chapter 3, I don't know whether you notice this, but the phrase that it says, um, Mark chapter 3 verse 14 it says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside, etc. He appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him. So the first thing is come and be with me. Come and spend time with me. And this was 24-7. So they ate with him, their rabbi. They slept with their rabbi. Not, I mean, as in, in the same room. Um, and, and there was a phrase, and you may have heard this, uh, they would talk about this blessing. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You ever heard that phrase? May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. It was this blessing. May you be so close to your rabbi that as you walk the dusty paths of Palestine and, they, and the dust comes up behind the, the rabbi as they walk, uh, you get covered in it. That was like a sign of blessing. It means you've been really close to your rabbi. Does that make sense? So that was kind of this invitation, the expectation that you would be with your rabbi. Become like your rabbi was this, uh, this understanding that you, the, you, the longer you spent time with them, the more you became like them. Have you noticed that you become like the people you hang out with? The more you hang out with certain kinds of people, you become more like that. The more you hang out with other kinds of people, the more you become like that. It's, it's just, it's social... Sociology level 101. So if you want to be more like Jesus, spend more time with Jesus. You want to be more like um, that person of faith that inspires you, spend time with them. So here you have these uh, rabbis and their apprentices, and the expectation was they learned to become like their rabbi. 
Uh, Jesus talks about making them fishers of men. Come and hang out with me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Make them like him. So it, it reads to us as like a slightly cheesy pun, doesn't it? Because we've got fish symbols, and Jesus smoked fish at the beach for, for his friends before his ascension to heaven. And is, is there something going on here where Jesus is basically just, is it a cheesy joke? Actually, um, fishers of men was a well-known idiom for a great teacher. This is what a rock star rabbi was called. The best of the best rabbis were called fishers of men. They were just great at hooking people into the kingdom of God. So he's saying, he is being funny because they were fishermen, but he's like, you come learn, to, you come and hang out with me, you will become incredibly good at bringing people into the things of God. You're fishermen, but I'll make you fishers of men. I'm a great teacher, I'm going to make you great teachers. Make you like me. And then the third thing was to do what your rabbi does. So the end goal, notice in Mark chapter 3, was to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. In other words, to do what Jesus did. And that's what he did. He preached and he drove out demons. It's shorthand for the whole mission of Jesus. The point of the apprenticeship journey was that one day, one day your rabbi would look you in the eye and say, off you go, you can do it now. 15 years later, have a crack. Now, flip this round. Have you noticed that there's some parallels with what Jesus does with all of this, but some massive differences? It means, uh, and this means, that, that, that what I want you to hear, again, I guess is foundational for this series, is that Jesus um, reimagines all of this, reinterprets it, repackages it in a completely different way. And it extends to us, even though we're not obviously Jewish teenage boys or girls. Um, Jesus would say, I think this, to follow me means three things. Number one, it, well, basically it's to order your life around exactly the same goals that an apprentice would have with their rabbi. Number one, to be with Jesus. Number two, to become like Jesus. Number three, to, to do what Jesus did, essentially. Are you tracking with me so far? Good. So our number one priority is to be with Jesus. That's what following him and apprenticeship to him is all about. It's learning that we can be with him wherever we are because he's with us by his spirit. Every moment of every day to live in and from the presence of God through relationship with him by the spirit. So John Mark Comer, who's written a lot about all of this stuff, says it's learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. This idea that we are living in this constant awareness of and connection to the Spirit. In other words, it's more than just having those encounters with God when we gather on a Sunday night and actually developing a way of life, a set of spiritual practices so that we become attentive and aware of God's presence with us by his Spirit wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever moment we're in, wherever on the planet we might find ourselves. And this really, I would say, is the baseline for life in the kingdom of God. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not a doing thing. It's a being thing first. Number one priority is to be with Jesus. And yet we live in a very doing kind of world and a very doing kind of Christianity. This makes complete sense. If you think back to Genesis, God creates. And when he's finished creating, the pinnacle of his creation is humanity. Everything else was good. Humanity is very good. The first thing he tells Adam and Eve, humanity to do is what? Nothing. Like rest. 
be with me. So Jesus here is actually trying to restore to us what was meant to be the same all along. And we see that in John chapter 15, that famous passage about the vine and the branches. Abide in me, remain in me, and I'll bear fruit through you. Be with me. Learn to live, literally live in me. So Dallas Willard, who is one of the greatest spiritual writers, puts it like this. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep our cell, sorry, is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. I love that phrase. Do you have any of those? Burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God, like Instagram. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and they can be broken. That's the good news. He goes on to say this, a new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. In other words, you want to be someone who wants to be around Jesus, wants to be rooted in him, just spend time, keep, just keep going, keep leaning in, keep leaning in, keep leaning in. And eventually it will become more normative and, and intuitive for you. But there are always going to be these distractions. We live in a distraction-filled world and we constantly have to contend for this. His point is it takes practice. It's a practice-based faith. What we've got to learn to do is practice being with Jesus, just like the rabbi and the apprentices that, that were being taught how to be with their rabbi. Uh, John Mark Comer uh, fam uh, famously, helpfully says, think of it as learning to be in two places at the same time. And I really like this. At your desk and in the presence of God. Changing your kid's nappy and in the presence of God. In the lecture theatre and in the presence of God. Yeah, even in the lecture theatre. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're there, but you're also in the presence of God because by his spirit, we are rooted and established in God's presence. That's where we live from. So wherever we are and whatever we're doing, uh, and Brother Lawrence famously wrote a book, didn't he, like hundreds of years ago about this called Practicing the Presence of God. He often said he encountered God the most when he was washing up the pots and pans in the monastery. Like when I'm washing up, that's when I feel closest to God. So there's a place for the worship and the prayer and all of that. But actually, we can learn to be with Jesus wherever we are. Second thing, then, is to become like Jesus. Out of this place of abiding, the goal is to become like Jesus, like our rabbi that we spend time with. We're with him and we become like him. Um, Dallas Willard again says this, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by such character traits as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. You want to become more like Jesus, spend time with him. The more you spend time with him, the more you get to know him, the more you become like him. It's caught, not taught. Does that make sense? So um, the invitation of the spiritual life is to become like Jesus. Here's the reality. We are all being formed by something or someone. 
usually it's the things you spend the most time doing and the people you spend the most time with. They're, they're the things that form you the most. We sometimes think we live in a neutral cultural moment where, you know, unless we're consciously choosing the Christian life, then we're just kind of trucking along fairly neutral. No, 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 no. Uh, we are being formed all the time by our cultural moment all the time by advertising, by social media, by the normative views of our culture, by the people you spend time with, the music you listen to, the films you watch. Everything is forming us all the time. If we want to become like Jesus, we've got to spend more time with him and learn how to be like him as a result. We've got to let him be the bigger, more dominant influence on us if we want to become like him. Otherwise, we're in this, this war of loves the whole time. It's utterly exhausting. And you can probably all relate to that and you can talk about that in a moment. So the question is not, am I being formed by something? Because you are being formed by something. The question is, into what am I being formed? Into what am I being formed and by what? <laughs> it's really, really important that we nail this. And that's why we do it in community because it's too flipping hard otherwise. Uh, and then... Um, I've lost my place, sorry. Um, three, four, do, do, do. Um, here we go. So the question I guess I want us to ask is, you know, what's the trajectory we're on at the moment? Are we people who spend time with Jesus, being with him? Not just for him, but for us, because it's in that place that we'll know God's love and peace, and from which we live into the world. And, and who or what are we becoming? Who or what are you becoming? Are we on track to become someone who reflects what it is to be made in the image of God more than ever? The idea is that we don't kind of lose who we are and become like carbon copies of Jesus. It's about learning to be who Jesus would be if he was us. Learning to be the Christ-like, fully human version of us that God had in mind from the very beginning recognizing that we are all a um, mixed bag. We've got our own brokenness, our own story, our own tussle. So which, which, which story are we going to lean into? And spiritual practices are about leaning into the God stuff more than anything else. This is more, crucially, than just behavior modification. Often we think, oh, it's, like, it's about not doing that. And if I don't do those things, then I'll become something else. That's, that's not the vision here at all. This is about inward transformation from the heart outwards. And then the third and final thing is to do what Jesus did. Tricky, of course, because he's God in human form. So he had a bit of a head start. But actually, what's crystal clear in the scriptures is that Jesus did everything he did as a human. Yes, sinless, blameless, holy, but in, power, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Totally dependent on the Spirit. He's not like Superman. He's got extra powers. He's modeling for us what it is to be truly human. So all the stuff he did, we're meant to be able to do as well. And we're going to come back to that in a bit uh, in the series rather than dwell on that now. But the idea is that we would learn to be people who can actually live into the world and demonstrate by the way we live and serve what it is to be people of the kingdom of God. So healing the sick, praying for people, preaching the gospel, casting out demons. When did you last cast out a demon? Um, those sorts of things, and it does still happen. I saw it happen a few weeks ago. Okay, so hopefully that makes a bit of sense. I'm going to say a little bit more in a moment, but I'd love to pause at this point and get you into your groups. And here's the question for you. 
Becoming like, uh, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. How is, that, how is this thought, that framework, helpful for you right now in terms of where you're at? How is it giving you some insight into, oh, that's where, I'm, that's where I naturally like to kind of seek Jesus, or that actually helps me make sense of why I find bits of it hard. There's no right or wrong question or answer, but some conversation around all of that, just so you can begin to own it for yourself and champion one another. Does that make sense? Go.